Our Father in heaven, I ask that you'll bless us this evening as we talk about how to reach the least reached. And I ask for the gift of your spirit to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to tell you a story. The last time I spoke at Advent Hope was before I moved to Malaysia. And I am full of Malaysian stories. And you're going to hear one in each of these three meetings. And if you ever get a hunger to hear more of them, I now have a YouTube channel, something I'll probably never follow up with anymore. But during the pandemic, I put a lot of them up. And when it's over, maybe never another one. But anyway, you can find that if you look for it. Plenty of children's stories there. One day I was on my mountain in Malaysia and I saw a dog. Now, this is not surprising on the mountain. The mountains in Malaysia are full of dogs. Dogs in Malaysia don't belong to anybody. But they're fed by cars that drive by and throw bags of scraps out the window. That's how people feed dogs there without getting ownership of them. And even so, the dogs start to be attracted to certain vehicles. They recognize the engine hum and know it has a bag of chicken heads in it. So on this mountain, I saw a new dog. And that's just difficult because dogs are very territorial. And all the crazy, ferocious dogs in that mountain are not going to let a newcomer in easy. And as I approached her, this new dog, who I soon named Susie, as I approached her, she was ferocious. She showed her teeth, her canines, those sharp ones. She growled and she got very close. I could even feel the breath through my pant legs. And she was just acting like a man-eating dog. She wasn't the largest thing. She was about uh, medium size for a dog, you know, five times a chihuahua size, but half of a, of a uh, German shepherd, kind of like that. Anyway, uh, I made friends with her. And when I made friends with her, what happened is that she was converted. I'm telling you, she was born again. I mean, the difference between what was before and what was after was as plain as the day. That before, she was barking at every car, every bicycle, every pedestrian. She was cruel and vicious. But after she learned to love me, she became sweet and adorable and no longer chased cars and wagged at pedestrians and ignored bicycles, except for a couple that had thrown rocks at her before she was converted. She never forgot about those. But for the most part, she was born again. And uh, it reminds me of a passage that you know, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 where it says, well, I'll read it to you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Have you thought about that? What happened with Susie is that when she was afraid, she was vicious. And you might not realize this, but many of the mean people you know in life, the ones that are ornery and argumentative and caustic, the ones that seem to just be always picking a fight with people, many of them, what's going on isn't that their hearts are so black, it's that their hearts are so yellow. I mean, they're fearful. It's fear that causes so much of what looks like anger. And when I broke through that fear with Susie, 
it was replaced with love, and love casted out the fear. And when fear went away, there went the ferociousness. What I'm telling you, I say in evangelism, in personal ministry, please push through apparent anger issues. Push through rudeness. Push through rebuffs. Don't push through them with your own fangs showing, but push through them with some persistent care. That's the first thought. The second thought comes from Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7, and I suppose since you are watching on Facebook Live that you might even be doing three things at once the way some silly people do. But I hope you're going to concentrate for a few minutes and go pick up a Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 14, and let's look at verse 6 to 7 and just talk about part of it. It says, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It's that that first verse, verse 6, that I want to speak to you about. Do you see there those four words? Let me speak to you about how they relate to Loma Linda. You can't preach to every nation while you are, uh, well, let me start that over. While you are in Loma Linda, you can personally, in person, preach to every tongue, every tribe, every people. Right there in Loma Linda, in your hospitals and in your neighborhoods, you have people that are represented by every part of the planet, every language, so that you can reach out in Loma Linda to people that come from countries that are nearly impossible for us to reach in person. I'm thinking right now of Morocco, Algeria, Albania, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, Bhutan, in some ways, even Malaysia, certain parts of India, Pakistan, Kazakhstan. You know, these countries are places where the work is infantile. I mean, it is so hard for us to do mission work in those places. But those people come to the United States. They come to study medicine, they come to study nursing, they come for treatment while they're in the, and if you look out, you see someone from one of those places, your meeting with them may be the last time that they ever meet a Seventh-day Adventist. It may be the last time that they ever have a chance to make a contact that will help them prepare for the mark of the beast and the seal of God. And if I could say even one bit more about that, I would say, before I'm done this weekend, I want to help you understand how every day I get new contacts in those countries. Today, it was Morocco and Bangladesh. I want to tell you how you can. And if you will, we can start to reach those least reached countries 
just from where we are, even in the pandemic. So what I just told you is that you can reach every language electronically. You can reach every tribe electronically. You can reach every people group electronically and maybe even in person where you are. And if those of you who are becoming doctors or are doctors, you even have more access to uh, those nations as physicians than most people do. There's something about being a physician that gives you access to many countries. I'm thinking of Somalia right now, uh, one of the least reached countries, Egypt. So that's the first part of the thought. The second part of the thought is comes from Acts 17. And if you have your Bibles turned there, maybe this is the third thought, because I forgot about Susie. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to turn in my Bible to Acts chapter 17 and help you learn something about how God is working. I'm going to read to you from verse 26. This is a verse that has something to say about racial inequality, and but I'm not speaking about that tonight, but it's here. Verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That we are one race, if you will. And he has determined that their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, that second part of the verse might seem odd to you, but yes, it's true that God has determined a lot about where people live and where people go. People, groups, and individuals, he's done a lot of it. And look at his reasoning, the purpose behind the boundaries he makes for people groups. Look in verse 27. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Do you see God's plan in putting boundaries and, and determining where people groups go? If you see it and your mind broadens a bit, then when you encounter that person from Yemen, you're not going to be thinking that what an interesting coincidence you're going to be thinking God brought this person here so that they would have a chance in the dark to find the gospel. You know, grope, that, that word grope or feel after him in the King James, that implies that you can't see well, that there's some darkness, but you're trying to find light. And God brings people who are searching where they can find it. Let me tell you a story, maybe two, and then I'll tell you about some techniques. So in Malaysia, a few years ago, that's where I live now is Malaysia. I'm going back there September 3. In Malaysia, a few years ago, I met a very noble-seeming woman. The, the respect she showed to Heidi and I, Heidi is my wife, that respect was above average. And her above average respect to me caused me to take above average interest in her. And through my wife, we collected her WhatsApp number, 
And I began to communicate with her over the course of months that turned into more than a year. And I'll tell you what came out of that. Nothing yet. That's what came out of it. Nothing yet. Uh, That lady, her belief is that all religions are about the same. And so why would you go through the awkward and dangerous business of changing religions if you live in a country like Malaysia where it's illegal for her to change religions? Uh, That is how she views it. So it hasn't gone anywhere. But I might keep pushing that button every six months or so because sometimes things change with individuals. Anyway, uh, I was friends with her on Facebook, and I went through her friends, and I found a noble-seeming man, and I I wrote to him, and it took him a long time to write back. You know, when you send messages to strangers, they get put in that little Facebook pile of of, uh, messenger requests, and people don't even look there sometimes for ages, and sometimes never, but he eventually found my message. And uh, we began communicating. He came to my house. He had my wife's food. He even came to church once. I didn't tell you, he's from Saudi Arabia. And uh, we made good friends with this man. And you know what came of it eventually? Nothing. In fact, I think that he's even blocked me now. And I don't think I have any way to reach out to him any longer. But we were good friends for more than a year. But before that came to a screeching, burning halt, I looked through his friends on Facebook, and I found one. And I wrote to him. And uh, he responded. And he began taking Bible studies. And he's from Yemen, a country that we just can't go to right now. And you know, he has accepted the Adventist message. He is now a Seventh-day Adventist. And uh, when he was in Malaysia and he graduated, uh, he was facing a real crisis because when you graduate, you have to go back to your country, you know. He was a foreign student there getting his master's degree in electronics. And he had to go back. And uh, who wants to go back to a, a country that's starving and in war? Like, you'd like to do about anything other than that, wouldn't you? And maybe you don't know what's going on in Yemen, but some of you must know. And uh, so in that crisis, his situation was broadcast around through the Yemeni uh, network, and they have quite a network, the Yemenis do. And he had a couple ladies from the United States, Yemeni backgrounds that were American citizens, that offered to marry him sight unseen just to get him out of that situation and bring him to the United States. That's quite sacrificial of them, I think you'd say. But what he said to me is, that's against the law, and I don't want to do it. And he refused those offers. So he ended up up going back to Yemen. I told him, you know, as a Christian, now you could probably get asylum somewhere. And you know what he said to me? He said, if I am going to be a Christian, it's not going to be for safety. So back to Yemen, he went, and he was there for months. But eventually, when he couldn't get a job and couldn't get food and didn't care to starve or for his mother to starve, 
he found his way to Egypt, and that's where he lives today. And he's helping me. He actually works for me now there in Egypt. And uh, he remembered a couple of friends that he had when he was young, or he had known them somehow. He looked them up, two ladies, and he sent them both the very same studies that I had sent him. And you know, one of them is now a Seventh-day Adventist. She's in Yemen in a place where there are no Christians anywhere within 100 miles of her. She is helping people that have COVID-19 that are dying in her neighborhood, teaching them simple things that she's learned. And uh, she is a light in a dark place. She's been raped. This was a few years ago before she was a Christian. She has been beaten frequently. It's the lot of many women in that part of the world. But she has reached out now to her friend. And now that friend is seriously considering, maybe even now considers herself a Christian. Well, now that friend's brother is taking studies for me. Uh, and he is living in Oman. And... Uh, so I've begun sending him studies, and he asked me just recently, a couple of weeks ago, about Jesus and about the atonement. And he's already turned away from his home religion and considers himself now a follower and is seeking for more information and is studying. And while I was giving him studies, I found out from a friend of that man, I mentioned the one who's in Egypt, who's helping me. Another friend of his, his who's still in Malaysia, took studies uh, three years ago and was making good progress. But then he got married to, to someone of his, his ancestral religion. And that really put a damper on his interest. Like he stopped taking studies after his marriage. But you know, he's begun again. And I found out through him that one young man there in Malaysia was, he's from Yemen, and he found his way to Jesus by no one sharing with him. I mean, literally, no Christian had anything to do with it. He just looked online and looked things up, and he found Jesus, and he decided to be a Christian, and one of his classmates turned him in, and he lost his scholarship. He lost it retroactively. So instead of now having a full scholarship to finish his master's degree, now he was in debt for about $1,900. And he's Yemeni. That's a country where you don't earn that much in a year. And, uh, and now he has to go back if he can't stay in school. Well, my friend in Malaysia who married his wife, and now studying again, looked him up and began to encourage him and wrote me about him. And I was able to raise money for him that allowed him to finish his master's degree, and he's studying even now. And by helping him, that other man has become a thoroughgoing Christian again and is now strategizing how to win his own wife. And the two of them together are helping each other and are reaching out to others in the university, looking for a good plan, a good way. So do you remember how this started? 
it started with me finding a noble lady in the elevator and doing my best and nothing came of it. You remember how it progressed from there? It was to another man that I found through her that it looked like it was going really well. I mean, all the way, visited my house twice, went camping with us, came to church, but nothing came of it. What I'm trying to say to you is that when you go after reaching the unreached, would you please push through discouragements? Would you please just keep pushing? Just keep trying? Because when you finally find that real gem, that seed that's in good ground might not bring forth just one fold or twofold. It might bring forth 30-fold, maybe 60-fold, maybe 100-fold. And that is so valuable that it's worth every seed that goes onto rocky soil or that is choked by thorns or that is eaten by birds. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. So I told you I live in Malaysia. And so what I'm doing there is certainly against the law. And you might wonder how long we can go undetected. Well, not five years. That's how long I've been there. So I've been interviewed by police more than once. And uh, it happened just about six months ago. Maybe, you know, time is getting away from me. I've been gone for five months now, haven't I? So I guess it's more like eight months ago. Um, a friendly police officer, the only one I know that's not a Muslim in Malaysia. He's a Buddhist. A friendly police officer contacted me and said that I was going to have a meeting with his superior officers, and he didn't know what it was about. Some of them were coming a two-hour drive from the capital city to come talk to me. And uh, and he's he has a pretty high level in the police department himself, so his superior officers have some rank. And uh, when I told some friends about it, they told me that there was a good chance I was about to be arrested. And uh, some recommended that it would be a good time to go buy a ticket and leave. But I was thinking that if I show a little fear, you know fear is much more contagious than courage. Fear is highly contagious. So I decided just to meet with these six and to treat them kindly and invite them in my house. And I did. And they came. And uh, they asked questions. That they were wondering about one of the Malay ladies that has become a Seventh-day Adventist and has been baptized. And her father is a police officer. And it's caused a lot of trouble. In fact, it's even caused me some logistical trouble. And... Um, Wasted about $20,000 in donated money, it did, that particular new, bit of news. and uh, But it sure hasn't hindered God's work. But what happened is, as they were interviewing me, the leading officer there, the one that's in charge of the other five, she began to ask me about my religion. She said that she studied comparative religions when she was in university. And when she studied Christianity, 
She never heard about anything like this religion. She'd only heard about Catholicism. And so she wondered why she'd never been taught this. She began to think that it wasn't a very good class that she took. And she wondered if I had anything that would give her more information. And, uh, well, we had a copy of Great Controversy in the house, the one that my wife was reading through, and we gave it to her. And uh, they found out that we were selling books all over Malaysia. We've sold 40,000 books in Malaysia. And uh, many of them have been, been purchased by people who shouldn't have done that legally. And, uh, and as a result, a couple of my students have been beat up, and we've gone to jail a few times. And uh, one of them thought he was going to be killed, but it didn't happen. And uh, anyway, they asked if we had any samples of those books. And it wasn't by any plan or deviousness of myself that all of the samples I had in my house happened to be health books, except for the spiritual books I had were in Chinese, and they don't mind if we sell spiritual books to Chinese people. So it looked like the samples I had might get me off the hook, you know? But as I told them about the Chinese books, uh, that lead lady asked me if I had those books in English. Well, as a Seventh-day Adventist, one of our key beliefs is that we don't tell lies. I think maybe your belief is that you tell lies when you need to. But that's not your belief, I hope. It's not the Bible teaching. Now, it is always legitimate to, to say mum is the word or to keep your mouth shut or to change the topic or to say I'm not telling. I mean, we're never required to, like, betray ourselves. But the friendly rapport I had with them made it seemed to me like the best thing I could do would be just to blurt out the truth. And I did. I said, yes, we have this in English. And then I told them all, they could all have a sample of what they wanted, thinking they would pick from the ones I had in front of them on the table, you know, the health books. I didn't think they'd pick the Chinese Ministry of Healing because they can't read Chinese. But you know what they asked for? They asked if they could get copies of that Ministry of Healing in English. So I sent my wife to run about 200 yards away and to bring back six copies. And all six of them went home with Ministry of Healing. I've been in contact now with that lead officer for the entire time. I even heard from her two weeks ago. I see no evidence, concrete evidence, that she is searching for the truth. I see plenty of evidence that she highly respects us, that she requests us to pray for her, that she seeks for prayer and asks questions about spiritual things. So I hope you'll pray for her. I don't think you have to know her name to pray for her. I think that I could have taken a position that would have completely denied those six people a chance to ever know the gospel. And I hope in your life that you're going to organize your life to never take a position like that. So, 25 years ago in Malaysia, 
there was one pastor who maybe had more courage than others, an Adventist pastor, and he shared some studies with uh, a lady that was related to the sultan. Uh, Malaysia has six sultans. Each one is kind of like a crowned prince over a state. And uh, it was a relative of one of the sultans that was studying with the Adventist pastor. Well, something happened. They found him in his church, dead, killed, dismembered. And you know the effect of that is that the church there was paralyzed. From that time forward, as far as I can tell, no one has been trying to reach the majority population. All the efforts have been made to reach the Buddhists and the Hindus. That's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that is 40% of the population, and those are hardly worked population groups. And so I don't want to speak ill of people who are giving their life to reach Buddhists and Hindus. But I'll say the church put a complete stop individually and corporately on trying to reach the majority people. And that's why when I went there five years ago and began uh, trying to reach all classes, why when my students went to jail the first time, it suddenly became much harder to recruit students to study in our missionary school. I have two missionary schools there in Malaysia. It became much harder. But, you know, I don't regret it becoming harder. It saved me from having 10,000. We just started with the 300. I think you understand my Gideon illustration. We've just started with them. And when you start with that group, you can do a lot of good. And uh, some of those ones, one of them that's been in jail the longest, he was there for two weeks. He is now uh, one of the teachers in the program. He's graduated. And he's training other people to be courageous like himself. Well, I could tell you a whole lot more about that. I will mention that on Jesus for Asia, that organization, uh, you could get a tax deductible, a tax deductible receipt if you donated to that organization for what we're doing in Malaysia. You'd have to specify that it's for Malaysia because Jesus for Asia has lots and lots of noble programs that they're doing in many parts of Asia. And I think when they get a, a donation that isn't targeted, it most certainly doesn't come to what we're doing. <laughs> it most certainly doesn't. So, uh, so anyway, if you wanted to help with that, you'd have to specify. Uh, what about that lady I mentioned to you? That'll be the last story for tonight, and then we're going to look at some ideas of what you can do. That one that was baptized, she was baptized by an American evangelist who was visiting. It's always better that way because it's a real crime to baptize uh, someone like her. And it's better to have that done by a visitor so that when it, someone asks who baptized her, you can tell the truth. You know, you can say that was done by so-and-so from America. Anyway, that worked out. Even today, she's helping us. She has braved uh, interviews with the police, even the religious police have interviewed her. 
And it's hard to know what her future holds. Uh, many have recommended that she escape the country. And in fact, we even helped her, and she did go for some time to Europe, but she requested to come back. She wants to be in her country, and she's reaching out now uh, to people who are close to her. You can pray for her. So, so what can be done? One thing you can do is you can pray for the filling of the Holy Ghost. You can pray for the outpouring of the latter rain. That is going to give courage. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, you might remember that in chapters in chapter two, you have many people that turn to Christianity. But you might remember a few chapters later that they catch a number of the apostles and they uh, put them in hold. And then they beat them and tell them not to do anything like preaching again, and they let them go. And if you've read it recently, you might remember that once they're let go, in one of those two, that happens twice, so it's in one of the two times, they praise God that they had a chance to suffer for the name of Jesus. I hope you can do that someday, to praise God for the chance to suffer. And. Um, then they prayed not to escape persecution, but they prayed for boldness. Let's look at it. I, haven't, I have not memorized the reference, but I think it's in Acts 4. So while you find it, I'm going to find it. I think it's in Acts chapter 4 that they prayed for boldness. Let me see. So you can look at verse 29, if you're there in Acts 4. It says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Do you see it there? They heard the threats, and the threats were that they could die. And they said not protect us. Like I can imagine the way that we might pray in the same situation. We might pray, dear Lord, in your sovereignty, protect us from their terrible threats. But do you see that's not even part of their prayer? Their prayer is for boldness. And you know, sometimes when you pray for things in the Bible, you get it late or you don't get it at all. But I want you to notice how quickly this prayer is fulfilled. They pray it in verse 29. The prayer ends in the end of verse 30. It's a two-verse long prayer. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with, you see it, boldness. How long did it take to get an answer to that prayer? It looks like about 40 seconds. It looks like it must have been a prayer that was according to the will of God, because it certainly was answered. And I'm hoping that you're going to be praying for boldness. That's what I'm praying for, for boldness. When I pray with you tonight, when I close, I'm going to pray for boldness. It's a prayer that God will give. 
So Heidi and I are going to re, we're going to update our wills soon. We talked about that last week. In 2017, though Adventists weren't trying to reach the majority population, there were uh, three evangelicals that were doing that. Two of them were Chinese and one was a converted Malay man. And these three were known. And uh, they received threats over the course of several years. But in 2017, all three of them were kidnapped. And no one has seen them since. One of those kidnappings was done, was recorded on video. The kidnappers are the ones who recorded it. There were six of them, and one of them used his phone, and he made a recording, and they put it on social media. That's terrorism. It was as if to say, this is what's going to happen to you if you dare. So what's the proper thing to do in that case? That would be to pray for boldness. That's a threat. And when you have a threat, you want to pray. You don't want to paralyze the work. Well, I said that would be the last story, but I changed my mind because I think you're going to listen to the stories more than you do to anything else. So I mentioned we have two schools. Uh, We have one in West Malaysia. Uh, That one is the one that uh, we're building for now. And I told you about that lost 20,000. I'll tell you that has been more than made up for more been made up for. And, um, but our other school is in Borneo. And in Borneo, where we're working, uh, there is a lady there named Priscilla. Priscilla might even see this someday. I learned that after I spoke about her last week and then found out she saw it. But uh, Priscilla, before I met her, she was a rubber tapper. You know what a rubber tapper is? That's a person who takes a long knife and scores a wound in a tree that bleeds latex and then collects that latex and sells it to rubber manufacturers. That's what rubber is made from, is from the latex from a rubber tree. Uh, Rubber tappers, even in Malaysia, are low earners. They don't earn as much as some other people. And... um, But she did so well, Priscilla did, on her high school exams, they call it the SPM test, that she won a full free scholarship to study medicine in Malaysia. Now, maybe you don't know this, but in Malaysia, doctors earn a lot more than the average white-collar people. Some of them have told me that they earned more in Malaysia than they did as far as take-home buying power than they did when they worked in uh, Ohio. They've done both. Doctors really do just fine in Malaysia. And um, so when the family found out that Priscilla earned this scholarship, you know how the family felt about that? They were elated. It's going to lift the entire family out of poverty. It wasn't just the family that was elated. The village was so happy. The church, the local church was so happy because surely she's going to give her tithe and offerings to the local church, and that will like outdo the entire congregation by like a score of 1 to 12. 
And anyway, everyone was so happy for Priscilla. Maybe some of you have scholarships. I don't know. And, um, well, she was studying and doing just great because she's quite a bright scholar. But she came up to a, a crisis where a test she had to take to continue on and to keep her scholarship was on Sabbath. You know, she had just recently been converted. She attended a meeting of youth, kind of like GYC. Uh, it's a spinoff that we have in Malaysia. And it changed her life just before this crisis. I think there's probably a, a connection. I think God avoids bringing us to crises until we have a good chance to, to have some faith. And so now she came to the crisis and she contacted her parents and her pastor to ask them to pray for her. But you know what her parents and pastor and church family said to her? Take the test. Here's why. It's because Malaysia is a terrible place to lose a scholarship. It's so different than the States. When you lose your scholarship there, you lose it retroactively. And she had already studied for a year, which meant that she was going to be, if she loses it, she's going to be burdened, going to be weighted down with a debt that's more than she could pay off in a long period of tapping rubber. That's why they said that to her. And it was quite discouraging, but you know, she stood for the faith. She didn't take the test. She lost her scholarship. God helped me raise money. We paid off those debts. And now she leads our school in Borneo. And that same bright brain that could have helped her to be a surgeon is the same that's needed to be the administrator of a secondary and primary school that is reaching people from different worldviews. That she needs to have that ability to teach the algebra and the biology and the chemistry. She needs to be able to, you know, it's not only in medicine that you need a good mind. God has work that requires bright people. And Priscilla's doing that work today. And uh, she wrote me two days ago, uh, a lady showed up whose husband had just beat her up. Her daughter has been um, studying with us. They're a Muslim family. And uh, the husband beat up the wife. Uh, well, let me tell you about this wife. She's begun to pray like a Christian. Because when the pandemic began uh, last March, her husband couldn't work and the family went hungry and we began to feed them. And she knew that her children, at least the one that was coming to our school, was beginning to pray to Jesus or pray in the name of Jesus anyway. And she began to do likewise. Well, I don't know if that's the reason she got beat up. I think her husband drinks and uses drugs. So it might be completely unrelated. But anyway, you can pray for her. But uh, I'm so glad that in her day of distress that she came to us for help. That we were the ones that she looked to. And already now we've had seven students there 
from that Muslim faith who've begun to pray like Christians. That means they think of themselves that way. And of our 20 students there, only about six of them come from an Adventist background. The ones that have come from a, a Catholic background and from a Pentecostal background are all now thinking of becoming Adventist missionaries. We started that primary school and secondary school for the purpose of feeding our school in West Malaysia so that they could have, we could be preparing courageous young people and it's working. We're preparing courageous young people there. So I told you I'm going back September 3, God willing. I don't know what's going to happen with me. Um, it's more important to me that I be courageous than that I have a long life. It's more important to me that we give an example to our students of moving forward. Do you know what happens in the book of Acts when Stephen is killed? Is that the end of Christianity? Or is that the beginning of something wonderful? Well, I think you know. That's when the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And probably everyone who watches this is a Gentile. So that really, that was the beginning of the gospel coming to us. And it just doesn't make any sense that we would live in a way where fear would be the controlling element in our life. Let me come back to you now for my last 10 minutes or seven or whatever I have. But what can you do? I'm going to give you my WhatsApp number. I don't know if you're scribbling, but I see that Nicole's scribbling and maybe some others of you are scribbling. Uh, my WhatsApp number is plus six zero one four nine six one six two zero three. That's plus six zero one four nine six one six two zero three. If you'll send me a note, I will send you uh, the studies that we have to help these people. They're translated now into Arabic and Farsi and Urdu and mostly most of them into Bengali. They're about half done in Turkish. They're mostly done in German. They're done in Hindi. Uh, we're working on uh, Chinese. Someone says Chinese isn't a language. Well, it is when you're writing. In writing, it's just one Chinese language. It's when you're speaking that you talk about Hakka and the, the other dialects. So it's in Chinese, and it's in Malay, and it's in Indonesian. And I have a man right now who may be translated into Hausa. Uh, so, and also a lady's working right now in Russian. But what I'm trying to say to you is I'm trying to get the work done in every one of the major religions, I mean, the major languages that are used by the least reached people on the globe. There are a couple languages that I can't find any person to work with me on. And I don't know what to do about that. There are a couple. You know, there are three Kurdish languages. Did you know that? And I have a man who would study right now with me if I could only uh, have studies in his version of Kurdish. But I don't have anyone to translate them because we don't. I, it looks like no one knows any Adventist that knows that language. 
even any Christian that knows that language, to be honest with you. So what you ought to do is send me a message, and what I'll send you will be those studies in, in the languages that we have and later languages that we're developing, and they're designed for delivery by WhatsApp or by messenger or by email so that you can communicate with people that you find online. Uh, I was just trolling the internet. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Nas Daily. It certainly isn't something you ought to watch on YouTube on Sabbath, but he's a man who makes a lot of YouTube videos. And because he comes from a Muslim background, I often, and he makes good videos. They're, they're good ideas, many of them. I will go to one of his videos and I'll look at the thousands of comments and I'll just look for a comment by someone whose name and the, what they wrote is in English and what they said was good and their name shows their religion. And I'll just write that person. You know, I'll just write them. And probably five times out of six, it goes nowhere. Maybe even nine times out of 10. But last week, on Thursday, I wrote to one of those people out of the blue, a man who lives in southern Iraq, a place where there are no Christians. His name is Sajjad, S-A-J-J-A-D. There are lots of Sajjads in the world. I wrote him, and within a day, he told me, maybe I will become a Christian. He said, I've already begun reading the sayings of Jesus and in the Holy Bible. Uh, this is by our WhatsApp conversation. Here's a man who's never met a Christian, is not even likely to ever meet a Christian, and is already thinking about making changes that would risk his life after only 48 hours of studying the prophets. What I'm trying to say to you is maybe in that couch potato time you have, Whatever you do when you're not exhausting yourself in your medical studies, maybe you could start reaching these people. God has made an easy way to find them. And uh, if you've listened to me tonight, then I think you understand that if you get an angry response, push through it with kindness. If you get disinterest, come back later and see. If you get it for years, Still come back, you never know. But just keep looking until you find someone who's ready. And when I send that to you, I'll send you a little bit about methods. And I'll also send you a document about why I have no interest in, in trying to combine Adventism with, with the Islam religion. There's syncretism that is going on in many places now that I'll tell you is irrational. Here's what someone might say to you. They might say, you can prove the Sabbath and the second coming and the divinity of Jesus out of the Quran. And I'll say, yeah, that's true. You can. But not without twisting it a bit. And more than that, in the Quran, it says more than 40 times that hell lasts forever. More than 40 times it teaches an eternal burning hell. So that I can show you that the book itself 
if it is a true book, if the Quran is a true book, then the Bible is a false book. And if the Bible is a true book, then the Quran is a false book. And while I never start out talking this way to any of my contacts, it does happen eventually that this conversation comes up. And let me just close with a couple ideas for you, and then I'll pray for you. What do you do when you're just getting started with a new contact and they ask you about the Trinity? Here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, friend, we're just getting to know each other. Let's talk about things that we agree on first and save these difficult topics about things that are too high for us for later. Let's save these difficult topics for later after we've made friends. And, and you know, I found that that works most of the time. That when you hold out an olive branch, people don't want to keep fighting. That they understand what you're doing and, and they go along with that. And what about if they offer you tea to drink? I won't drink it. I don't use caffeine. You go about, you're going to offend them. Oh, no, listen. Invite them to your house first. That's what we do. Invite them to your house first and tell them you're going to give them a halal vegetarian meal, a meal that has no unclean anything in it. And when they come to your house, not only have you just had a great bonding experience, but you can explain to them your plant-based diet. I'm sure if you're coming to Advent Hope that you live on a plant-based diet. But if not, you ought to talk to Nicole, and she'll teach you how to live on a plant-based diet, I think. I don't know you, Nicole. I'm just guessing that. So um, what I'm telling you is invite them first, and that will settle a lot of issues. It will just make a way for you. And finally, the hint, don't give them a Bible until late in the game, until they're already becoming Christians, because many of them are a bit superstitious. And they think of the Bible as a, almost like you would think of a Ouija board or a seance. They think of it as something that can kind of uh, grab you and hook you in a way you can't escape, you know, like, like it's like a trick of the devil. But what they're worried about is the book. It's not the words. So you can show them memes and send them verses and send them scripture songs that's what I do. They love the scripture songs. It's not the ideas that bother them. It's the book itself. So make that late in the day. So the summary of all that I've said, because I think I'm one minute over time now, is give it a shot. Let's finish the work. Let's get it done and do it right there from California. Do it from where you're at. Go ahead and interact with people. You can, you'll can you learn right away how to recognize names. You don't even have to ask them about their religion. You'll just know. And hey, what if you have friends that are Hindu or Buddhist or Jainist or atheist? Well, yeah, try to reach them too. Uh, I'm certainly not saying this is the only thing to do on the planet, but I think it's one of the ones that's being done the least. And whatever you've done to the least of these, my brother, and that's what you've done to Jesus. So remember, it's to every kindred nation, tongue, and people. And it's God who determined those boundaries that they're in so they could so they could grope after him. And if we understand that, then it makes sense how I could find Sajjad in southern Iraq. That's a miracle. And God will do those kind of miracles with you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I'm asking that you will finish the work that you've started. 
she would help people to do it and to do it well and to do it quickly. I ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.